Namaste. Om Maginati Marandasyaginatina Salakaya Chaksuru Militanina Tasmai Sri Gurve Namaha Majasri Krishna Chaitana Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Ganada Sri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vindam Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Haribol Everybody okay? Huh? Don't don't get cold if you've been sweating. Otherwise, you will likely get sick. Not a good idea. What's the time? Oh, nine o'clock. A bit late, yeah? Or okay? Does anybody have any questions while you're thinking about that? Just so you know, somebody uh, approached me uh, because they didn't, they weren't able to attend this morning. We are streaming, right? Yeah. Patrick, Christopher? Yeah. Okay, so if anybody wants to go back and look at any of the stuff, you check out Patrick. Christopher on on Facebook and I will also um, before the end of this coming week I will post the lectures online the talks um, on SoundCloud and on Spotify and I will post the link to that on my Facebook page, Acharidas. Um, there's actually, we've been posting for a while since I was back in New Zealand. So I've got a website, acharyadas.com. And um, there, I've got a YouTube channel and on Facebook, which is a little bit more disorganized when you're looking for stuff, um, it's probably, you know, 260 different talks on a variety of subjects that people may be interested in, might find it helpful. And there's also a separate um, Facebook, you'll see a link on it on my Facebook page and a YouTube channel and also on my website too. I've been, I have been off it for about a year now, but working on a translation with commentaries on the um, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra for people that are interested. So does anybody have a, a, any question? regarding where we are. You know, when it comes to asking questions, you should never be, you should never allow shyness to prevent you from asking a question. 
There is no such thing as a dumb question. All questions are really important and relevant. And if they help clear up an issue and help us to move forward spiritually, then they're kind of like really important. So, you know, don't, don't be shy if you ever wanted to ask anything. It's perfectly fine. So, continuing, we're going to deal with the topic of, of love. Since the retreat theme that I was handed is Bhakti, the yoga of love. So, and we've spoken about it. Everybody feels this drive, this internal need for love, to both love and to be loved. But if I, I mean, like, okay, well, what the hell is love? What is it? What is it that we're, we're seeking? And if people are actually very honest, most people will have some difficulty answering that question. They will talk about some certain symptoms or some certain aspects of things that they are seeking but when you ask for what is an actual definition of love then a lot of people you know become a little bit stumped even if you're a rock and roller I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Nobody can show you love. But that's a kind of a cry from the heart. It's, you know, nobody laughs at it when somebody, you know, belts that one out. Nobody thinks that that's a joke. And they will start laughing at that person. Because everybody is moved by the same things. So I'm not going to give you a cute answer. Love is never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> well, if you don't do anything to anyone, you'd never have to say sorry to them anyway. Does that mean that's love? No, of course not. <laughs> so that definition is lacking a little bit. When we, when we speak of love, when we speak of spiritual love, we're talking about a profound spiritual condition a profound spiritual experience that is seen in a... Okay, they use this term, and some people might, this might spasm out. It's seen in a perverted reflection in the material world. When we say perverted reflection. It doesn't mean you're a perv. It just means that it's no longer 
in its pure and original condition, it's been somehow distorted and corrupted. So, for example, if you look in the mirror, the image that you see in the mirror is actually a perverted reflection of your face. Because on your face, for if I had a mole or a pimple or a scar on my right cheek, when I look in the mirror, it is now switched and it is on the other side. It's now on my left cheek. So the reflection that you're seeing is categorized as a perverted reflection. It is completely switched. That example is given or used for the nature of actual spiritual love and the perverted reflection that is manifest in this world. In this world, even if you are happily in love with someone, you feel in your heart a desire for something more, something more perfect, something deeper, something more intense. Even if you don't have an issue, any problem, you're happily in love, you still feel this urge. And that is why even people that are supposedly in love still like to watch love stories. They like to watch movies, you know, about love, good, good love story. People like it. Nothing wrong with that. But it is an indication of this desire for something more and something deeper and more wonderful. The spiritual expression of love, one of its real characterizations, one of the, one of the things that characterizes this love is the condition of selflessness. And the condition of material love is the element of selfishness. And when I say that, I don't mean it. Don't think of it in, oh, you're so selfish. No. <laughs> we are, by nature, in the material condition, utterly self-centered. We look at this world, we look at people, we look at relationships in relation to me. I am at the center of the equation. It doesn't mean that you're bad or that's bad. I'm not saying that, but there needs to be a recognition. I mean, when I talk about my life, my family, my partner, my friends, my parents, my children, my job, 
my life. It's always this my. I lay claim to things without even realizing that I'm doing it. This condition is at the heart of what covers the spiritual being. This is the foundation or the heart of material consciousness, seeing everything in relation to me. The spiritual condition is opposite to this, where I am completely surrendered in love to this highest object of my love, not having any concern for myself, my wants, my desires, only how can I please this love of my heart? In the material world, probably one of the most selfless relationships is often, not always, but often between a mother and particularly a young child, where they will make enormous sacrifice, give up sleep, give up, you know, their own trip for the well-being of this helpless little creature, whom for some reason I just feel incredible love for, a deep emotional feeling of connection. I remember one time seeing, and I, I don't even know how the hell I saw this, it was some woman that had just delivered a baby. And I, I'll just make this statement. I tell you what, if you want to enrich your life, be present at as many childbirths as you can and as many deaths as you can. Watching people enter this life and being able to aid and assist those whose time has come to leave that body will utterly transform your life in, in the most wonderful and positive way. And in this situation, the baby was delivered and the person that delivered the baby handed it over immediately to the mother who just wept in the sweetest and most uncontrollable way and declares, I have always loved you. I mean, it was like really touching. It was really a heavy thing to, to see. But from the spiritual perspective, that relationship is not 
founded on spiritual vision. Am I going to go here? I'm going to be the bummer guy. <laughs> I need a t-shirt, the bummer guy, you know. You know, I'll give you the hard truth. Prior to coming into this particular lifetime, you have had previous lifetimes. You have had husbands and you have had wives. You have had children and you have had parents and you have had friends. And you were on an emotional roller coaster and you were pulled all over the place by different emotions. You were deeply attached. They were everything to you. You know, the reaction of a parent whose kids are playing outside and the parent is inside and they hear somebody hit the brakes in the car outside and, and the car screeches on the road. I mean, they don't even have to think about it. Instantly, the heart is beating and there's an adrenaline rush and a shock. The kids... And they're making a bolt for the door to see if they're okay. Because that's how deep that bond is that's formed in just one lifetime. And yet at the end of your lifetime, the instant that you leave your body, bam, it's all gone. And you never think about those people and you have no relationship with them ever again. A very rare occasions, there's some ongoing connection. And this doesn't happen once. This happens multiple times. Because that affection and that experience of love is not eternal and not based upon the perception of the spiritual being and me as being a spiritual being. From a spiritual point of view, this is not considered pure and spiritual love. It may be a very wonderful and very noble and, and admirable but it is not a transcendental experience, which the heart actually really desires. Is that too cruel? Yes, sir. I'm sorry, a little louder. The hard answer is no. Because over time it becomes conditional. In the beginning, it is based upon some dependency and an affection. But over time, the kids grow up, get hairy legs, and begin fighting with their parents <laughs> and saying nasty things to them. If it was pure and unconditional, it would remain that way. 
the fact that it doesn't is indicative of it's not of it not being a pure spiritual state. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with it. That's not what I'm saying. And, and it's not good to get overly stuck on this. All I'm trying to do is just bring to your attention that when we begin to talk about the state of spiritual love, we are talking about something that is way beyond the material, the limited material experience that is influenced by an element of self-centeredness and is based upon temporary material relationships that are not eternal. That's, that's the principal point. Um, I mentioned this morning about a, a famous verse in the Upanishads. And then somebody asked me, so what, what, what's the Upanishads? And I kind of am hesitant to get into talking about this because it's a big topic. The Vedic, the Vedic, the spiritual Vedic literature is understood to have descended from a transcendental platform and is a vast ocean of limitless knowledge. The term Veda actually means knowledge. And there are principal works, four principal works that form the core of the Vedas. And there are quite limitless, almost supporting spiritual texts. One group of these texts are the Upanishads. So there is a verb, but there was another text that is called the Brahma Samhita. And there is a verse that states that the jiva, and this word jiva refers to the spiritual being, the soul, the self. The jiva is eternal and for all eternity without a beginning joined to the Supreme Lord by an eternal bond of kinship. This jiva is the transcendental spiritual potency of the Lord. So this states that in reality, we have a soulmate. People talk about soulmate in relation to material relationships. But the people of this world cannot actually be for all eternity your soulmate. Nor can any other living being provide you 
with the love and the shelter that you seek. It is unfair to expect another person in this world to show you the perfect love and the perfect shelter that you seek. But we have that tendency. We are always looking for the perfect love, the perfect soulmate, the perfect person that for all eternity I can be happy with. That person exists, but they are not of this world. This is an important spiritual message. So when I was given this topic, bhakti, the yoga of love, it's kind of like, for me, it's like, <laughs> how, how am I going to talk about this? Because this is, we're not into the fluff and the sentimental stuff. We're really want to discuss the limitless ocean of transcendental love, of spiritual experience. But what we can see and witness and experience in this world is actually a very limited and perverted reflection of this higher spiritual reality. This weekend, they are celebrating the life of Lord Jesus Christ. In the bhakti tradition, we understand that he was a topmost and perfect teacher of bhakti. When he was asked, what is your greatest commandment? Or what is, actually he was asked, what is the greatest commandment in law? Meaning in the old religious texts, what is the greatest commandment? And his response, he recited a verse that is in the Old Testament. And it says that one must love the Lord thy God with your whole heart, your whole mind, and your whole soul or whole being. And it is so sad and unfortunate that this is no longer taught. This is no longer the focus of much of Christianity. He said the second commandment is like that, like unto that, to love thy brother, meaning other living beings, as thyself, in the same way that we 
take care of ourselves as a topmost priority. We should deal like that with others. But that is the second. The first is the first. And what is this condition that he spoke of? That you should love the Father, the Supreme Lord, with your whole heart. What is that condition? With your whole mind. This is not a divided love. Oh, I love my kids. I love my partner. I just love the new car that we got. I love our dog. And I also love God. <laughs> no, that's very far from what he spoke of. What is this condition where one's whole heart, where their whole mind, their whole being, is, is so immersed in a relationship of such profound and ecstatic love that I am completely absorbed in that. When I heard my spiritual master speak about Jesus Christ, it blew my mind. I had never heard a priest or a minister speak about Jesus Christ or anybody else that I ever met in church or anything when I was a kid. I never heard anybody speak about this extraordinary personality in, in such a way. And it is because my spiritual master, being in the tradition of bhakti and being a topmost lover of God, could speak very authoritatively about the nature of this lost relationship that we have forgotten. I mentioned earlier, you know, about this verse, and I, I will read it, about these two birds in the same tree. So this, is, this same verse is, is found in both what is called the Svetasvatara Upanishad and the Mundaka Upanishad in, in two places, exactly the same verse. And it states that there are two birds in one tree. So the tree here references the material body. One of them is eating the fruits of the tree, while the other one is witnessing the actions. The witness is the Lord, and the fruit eater is the living entity. Now, in, an, in another um, Vedic text, the Bhagavad Purana, it speaks in a little bit more detail, but about the same, the same example is used. By chance, two birds have made a nest together in the same tree. The two birds are friends and are of a similar nature. One of them, however, 
is eating the fruits of the tree, whereas the other, who does not eat the fruits, is in a superior position due to his spiritual potency. The bird who eat, does not eat the fruits of the tree is the supreme personality of Godhead, the Paramatma, who by his omniscience perfectly understands his own position and that of the living, the conditioned living entity represented by the eating bird. The living entity, on the other hand, does not understand himself or the Lord. I mean, that's just like, oh my God, what a deplorable state. One of the birds, the living being, does not even understand himself. What to speak of his eternal companion. He is covered by ignorance and is thus called eternally conditioned. Whereas the personality of Godhead is full of knowledge and is eternally liberated. You are blessed by the presence of the Lord who resides within your heart. But due to ignorance, we have lost complete under any understanding whatsoever of our eternal spiritual being. We have become utterly absorbed in this external body, which is not us, and the mind and the emotions that cover us and are blind to our own spiritual existence. What to speak of being blind to our eternal friend and companion who also resides within our own heart. We are always looking for love in all the wrong places. I think that was a song. Looking for love in all the wrong places. I mean, the fact that people can make that statement is, is pretty far out. Just like that song I mentioned. Who did that? Heart? Was it? Yeah. I want to know what love is, you know. Uh, it's about a song about looking for love. But I will tell you something really extraordinary. The love that you are looking for already resides within the deepest recess of your heart. It is part of the eternal spiritual condition of the soul itself. There is one famous verse 
that says that this pure love for the Lord is eternally established within the hearts of all living entities. It is not something to be gained from another source. When the heart is purified by the hearing and chanting of these transcendental sounds, this love naturally awakens. The discovery, the manifestation of actual spiritual love accompanies the process of self-realization and God-realization. You don't artificially acquire it or learn it. As the layers of ignorance that cover the pure soul are gradually removed, this condition, it is where the eating bird in the tree now stops looking for happiness in the fruits of the tree and turns and recognizes their actual Lord and reconnects and experiences an ecstatic, ecstatic awakening of spiritual love in connection. And as this begins, even in the very beginning stages, it naturally overflows to all other living beings. I mentioned this morning that when we spoke of Paramatma realization, this feature of the Lord that sits within the heart of all living beings, how a person that is on a path of transcendental realization begins to increasingly become aware that both within each body that sits before me is an eternal spiritual being, the Atma, the actual person. And alongside that person is the Supreme Being. And therefore, I should act with great respect and with affection and care and humility towards all others, knowing that I am seen. I have no secrets. This Lord Paramatma sees everything and is there waiting to offer direction. And one of the things that will manifest from within the heart. They have an adage in, in, in the Vedas. It is God that gives Guru, and Guru gives God. And it means that when a person becomes increasingly spiritually purified, they will be directed by the Lord within their own heart to his representative, to Guru, who will then give 
the necessary instruction for you to become completely spiritually purified and to also attain this highest condition known as love for God. And that's as far as we're going for now. Somebody asked me a question. Sorry, I'll, I, I will get to it probably tomorrow. Not the right moment now. They, they asked me to answer something. Anybody have a question? Do you like what you hear or not? Or somewhere in between. What, what I am saying to you is the highest spiritual truth that is utterly universal and applicable to all souls. We have no interest in partisan or sectarian thinking or activity. We're not into that at all. We understand that all living beings are equal and, and spiritually the same. There is no higher or lower. We also understand that everybody has the same yearnings. Everybody is driven by the same spiritual needs. And we understand that while people may choose different practices and different paths, it is for the purpose of actually uncovering these eternal spiritual needs and to have the same spiritual experience. Okay, so I think we've um, exceeded our loud time. I was going to have a rock out, but we already did that. And we've, ha we've had, no, we've had some complaints from, from, um, from people nearby. So we'll go, we'll go the other route. We will do something a little bit more quieter, but very nice. Hare Krishna Hare 
Krishna, 
Haribo. See you on the morrow.